If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 18. And the children are dismissed to Children's Church. John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. John 18, 33 to 38. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you say this of yourself or did others tell it you of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you unto me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My children is not, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I, uh, I recognize that this is Thanksgiving Sunday, and it is duly appropriate for all of us to be in church worshiping God this morning. We have So much to be thankful for. Amen. As some of you know, uh, in meeting to thank God in Thanksgiving, we follow deep historic precedent. A precedent that annually reminds all Americans, believers and unbelievers alike, of America's Christian roots. Now there's a lot of revisionist historians out there today, but... The fact remains, we have deeply Christian roots in this nation. In 1621, pilgrims in Massachusetts celebrated what has now come to be regarded as the first Thanksgiving in the New World. Having fled to America in order to worship God freely, the pilgrims were truly thankful to God. And years later, on October 3rd, 1789, George Washington issued a proclamation declaring the first Thanksgiving Day designated by the national government of the United States of America, celebrated on Thursday, November 26, 1789. And John Adams and James Madison similarly declared Thanksgiving a holiday, but it wasn't until October 3, 1863, at the height of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation encouraging Americans, quote, in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November, 
Next, as a day of thanksgiving and a day of prayer to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens, end quote. Thanksgiving has been celebrated in the United States ever since. And just one year ago, Thanksgiving 2020, we were deep in the throes of an uncertain pandemic. And one year later, we are gathered here to worship God. And for that reason alone, and I think for so much more, we have cause to wish each other a happy Thanksgiving. And speaking of happy, today's sermon is entitled, Happiness is Found in Truth. A very simplistic title for a very profound text. The context of today's scripture text is Jesus' trial prior to his crucifixion. After being beaten and kept up all night by Jewish religious leaders, Jesus is finally brought before the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Fearing him to be a rebel, Pilate asks Jesus in verse 33 if he's the king of the Jews. And Jesus' response in verse 36 is very interesting. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. First of all, this statement reminds us as Christians to hold the things of this world lightly. Like Jesus, our kingdom is also not of this world. We are simply passing through. Our home is heaven. That's our final destination. And today, we are reminded to live that way. To not hoard the things of this world as if this home was our final destination. But to remind ourselves that we are sojourners. Simply passing through to a permanent destination in the heavens. And we look forward to that, amen? Be careful, therefore, about how and where you use both your time and money, because they often prove the validity of your faith. But this verse also teaches us another key point, namely that it is not wrong for Christians to fight in wars. Now, given my setting, I might be speaking to the choir here, but it's important to note. Jesus was crystal clear. If his kingdom was of this world, then his servants would fight. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Christ returns at his second coming to establish his throne on earth, both he and his followers will at that time fight a bloody war. There will be no such thing as a Christian pacifist at Christ's return. I want you to listen to Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14. Now I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. 
and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies in heaven, clothed in white fine linen, clean, followed him on white horses. So yes, Christians are and will one day be expected to fight. Being a soldier is a legitimate profession for a Christian, and I want to encourage you in that. Many of you serve or have served. That is an honorable profession. It is not a sin. And on the contrary, Romans 13 identifies it as one of the very few places in all of Scripture God identifies that individual as a minister of God. The soldier is a minister of God. Now, as the governor's interrogation continues here, the Lamb of God, in verse 37 of today's passage, boldly stands up to Pilate and declares these following words, which still echo throughout all of Western civilization. I mean, some of the most beautiful paintings have been done about this scene. Jesus standing before Pilate. This is an epic moment in history. Jesus stands before Pilate and listens to the word of God coming out of the Lamb of God. Everyone that is on of, listen to this, everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Not the voice of Buddha. Not the voice of Muhammad. But the voice of one person, Jesus. What Jesus said in verse 37 will certainly be perceived as politically incorrect and culturally insensitive in our broader society. You all know that. It is the reason why some even have trepidation declaring that from this pulpit. But the fact remains, if there is such a thing as truth in this world, then truth by definition is mutually exclusive. And this means that unlike what that popular coexist bumper sticker says, all religions cannot all be simultaneously true. It doesn't logically hold. For example, Islam teaches that it is blasphemy to say that Jesus was God. For them, only Allah is God and he had no son. Christianity, Christianity, on the other hand, teaches that one must believe that Jesus was God in order to go to heaven. Do the two religions share some common lesser teachings? Of course they do. The principle of the golden rule, for example, could be found in virtually every religion on this planet. But in their ultimacy, on the teachings that matter most, in other words, when heaven and hell are on the line, the religions couldn't be any more different. Every single religion attempts to work their way to God. And that's where we get our word religion. It comes from two Latin words, religare. We get our word ligament. It means to retie. Human beings all over the world recognize that something is wrong between them and the Creator. And they try to reconnect or retie that relationship through religion. And so they work and work and work to try to get to God. Christianity is the only faith in which God looks down at us, and he came down to us. He says, you can't do it. And he comes down to save humanity. 
And in verse 37, Jesus reminds all of us living in pluralistic America that all roads do not lead to God. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. Evangelism, therefore, should not be a dirty word. Because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, his servants ought to be spiritually fighting for the salvation of lost souls for the next world. Sharing the gospel should not be some marginal task, but for the Christian it should be at the very center of all of our labors on earth. Can you imagine living a long life of 80, 90 years, dying comfortably and standing before the creator of the universe, having never led a single person to Christ? When it was Christ who gave us a commission, a work to do. Let it not be us. Do we truly desire to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, from God when all is said and done? That's an important question. And what is this message that we ought to be sharing? It's not difficult, but it is far more than smiling in a Christian manner. Remember, a Buddhist can smile, a Muslim can do good works. What sets us apart? What is our task? Our task is to share the gospel. The Apostle Paul says in his, his epistle, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's not complicated. Four essential points. There is a just and holy God who created the universe from simply speaking it into existence out of nothing. His God is a God of love, but He is also a God of justice. Which is why the second point of the gospel is bad news. For all of us as sinners deserve eternal hell from God. Yes, that is a real and literal place. The Bible tells us that when we die, there's only one of two places, heaven or hell. There is no purgatory, only heaven or hell. And the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to go to hell for our sins. But point number three, the good news is God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who will believe in him. And then on the third day, he historically, it is not a myth, he rose again from the dead, conquering the grave. So point number four, if you repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord God and Savior, you have eternal life. Friends, I want to make this very clear this Thanksgiving Sunday. Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a parking lot makes you a car. You you cannot be a Christian by osmosis. You cannot be a Christian because your mother or your father was a believer. You yourself must meet the Redeemer, Jesus Christ yourself. But the offer is available for you today. So those four points, God is good, man is bad, We deserve hell for our sins. 
But Jesus saves, but you must personally believe. Faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone is what saves us, my friends. And that gospel is the answer to the question asked by the Roman governor in verse 38. You see, in verse 38, Pilate asked the question that so many all around the world are asking today. What is truth? And even today, there are so many idols in the world, so many different religions. Winston Churchill once said accurately, in wartime, truth is so precious that she is always attended by a bodyguard of lies. The truth of eternal life, it doesn't get any more precious than that. And it is no wonder we have so many contending lies in this world today. There was a theologian, Augustine, who himself observed, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Without even knowing for it, our neighbors are searching for truth. Truth is the oldest of all virtues, and it predated the creation of man. She lived before there was man to know her or to understand her. Till this day, truth mysteriously endows all who attain her with riches, honor, and most importantly, eternal life. In verse 37, Jesus said he came into this world so that he should bear witness unto the truth. The truth was his mission because Jesus was truth in human flesh, truth incarnate. And as we look at the greatest civilizations throughout history, the greatest ones have always sought after truth. Think of the wise men of Babylon, the Alexandrian Library of Egypt, the philosophers of Athens. Even today, when we look at our society, we see that truth is the rock foundation of every great character. Why do we still name our children after the disciples of Christ? Because they were wise men of character. They knew the truth. The truth gave men like Peter and James, Paul and Timothy, the courage to die for their convictions. And listen to me carefully. If we want to raise brave armies, brave students, brave children, then teach them the truth. Truth gives us courage to live lives in sync with our convictions. Truth always gives us power. It is the guardian of the conscience, the compass of the human soul, and the touchstone of the human mind. In fact, without the mind, truth could not exist because the purpose of the mind is to attain knowledge. And the object of knowledge is truth. We value education because we value knowledge. Knowledge is power because truth is power. This is why education is still so expensive. And the most professional degrees, MDs, JDs, PharmDs, PhDs, are the most expensive of all. Advanced civilizations have always valued education because education is the attainment of truth. A little known fact in America, every single Ivy League university except Cornell started as a seminary for Christian ministers. 
I visited Harvard University a few years ago, and till this day, their mission statement of John 17.3 is etched into stone on their university campus. Blessed is the nation that values the truth. Now, conversely, conversely, lying is the world's oldest vice. It made its infamous debut in the first recorded interview in the Garden of Eden. The snake lied to our ancient mother Eve. She believed the lie, and humanity has never been the same since. Lying is the sacrifice of honor in order to create a false narrative. Jesus fitly labeled the devil as the father of lies. Lying masquerades as a virtue. While truth can stand alone, lies are cowardly, fearsome things. They're kind of like drug addicts, vainly seeking to support one another. Lying is the partner and root of all other sins. Why do I say that? It is the cancer of moral degeneracy in a person's life. The sin of adultery, for example, has at its root the lie that another woman will bring you greater fulfillment than your own wife. The sin of homosexuality has at its root the lie that same-sex intimacy will bring heart-satisfying joy. The sin of greed has at its root the lie that money can bring you happiness. In fact, the man who lies in order to save a dollar merely proclaims he esteems a dollar more than he does his honor. He who sacrifices his ideals, truth and character for mere money or rank is weighing his soul against a bag of money on a metaphoric scale. He will be loyal to whatever he finds heavier. And if money is what he desires, then that scale will tip to that bag of money. We cannot worship God and money. At the end of life, the real question should not be, what have I? But rather, who am I? Your identity in Christ is infinitely more valuable than the number of zeros in your bank account. Amen? And so in closing, I return to the title of my sermon, Happiness is Found in Truth. And this year we're celebrating Thanksgiving. Are we thanking God for all he has given us? Or are we thanking him for the person he has made us? I would say we're thankful for both. But I would add we need to be more thankful of the latter to a greater degree. Now, regarding Thanksgiving, all the scientific research now shows that practicing gratitude does a lot of good things to you. Boosts resilience to stress, promote well-being, reduce depression, increasing your lifespan by increasing your happiness. Gratitude does that. So essentially, as human beings, we can derive that we cannot live without happiness. Our souls crave happiness. It is a profoundly universal pursuit. 
So much so that Jefferson once said that all men are entitled to that pursuit of happiness. We all desire to be happy. Back in the 1600s, a French philosopher named Blaise Pascal famously invented something we all learned in high school math. Remember Pascal's triangle? But he also did something else. On top of being a mathematician, he was a philosopher. And one day, Pascal wrote this rather profound observation. This is what he said. Quote, All men seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, the cause of some going to war and others avoiding it. The same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. End quote. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because if Pascal was right, then mankind so universally seeks happiness that even the man who commits suicide does so seeking happiness. He believes that he will finally be happy when all is said and done. And that is a lie. In working with soldiers, I can tell you firsthand that happiness does not come naturally to most. And if we're honest, it doesn't come naturally to us. We all crave it, but very few ever find it. Many of us enjoy being in the presence of young children because they naturally seem to have it. Their happiness brings some nostalgia to us something we desire, but maybe perhaps have forgotten over the years. And they search for it in all the wrong places. We do as well. But in verse 38 today, a badly bloodied Jesus of Nazareth stands before Pilate, who asks him, what is truth? Pilate didn't know. And so many around the world still don't know. And the truth was standing right in front of him. He simply had to believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I I do pray that we will believe. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Those were the words of the God-man who stood before Pilate without fear. And today we declare that truth because your word declared today that all who testify of truth is on your side. We stand with you, Jesus, and we recognize that the discovery of that truth will also bring us our heart's greatest longing, joy. A joy that will ultimately be consummated in heaven. And I pray that for those of us who believe in Jesus, the rays and glimpses of the sunlights of joy would filter into our lives even today as we share this gospel 
with so many who still do not know. In Jesus' name, amen.